and welcome back to Blockchain Won't Save the World on tour. Today, we're going to Australia. and I'm really lucky to be joined by Steve Vallis. He's the CEO of Blockchain Australia, and he's just come off the back of Australian Blockchain Week. It's been bigger and better than ever before, and we're gonna get his take on how it went, who are the key personalities, what were the big important decisions that were made, and what happens next for blockchain in Australia. Steve, thank you so much for joining. Let's start with your brief summary of the Australian Blockchain Week. How did it go for you and what were some of your highlights? Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate the opportunity to chat to you as well. Obviously, we've uh, paid attention to each other on LinkedIn for quite a number of years. So very grateful for the opportunity to be heard on this uh, very exciting podcast from my perspective, because I get to tell the story of what happened in Blockchain Week, which, uh, to be frank, was pretty extraordinary. We had the biggest coming together the country's ever seen of this subject matter. I'd like to tell you it was only a few months in the planning. It was delivered over a few months, executed over a few months, I should say. But it's probably the byproduct of five years worth of conversation. So in short, 250 speakers across four cities, five days, subject matter from startups and VCs all the way through to what government is doing. It was just the coming together of lots of different parts of this community, very deliberately constructed in a way that said, to people, you will be able to see yourself somewhere in this week. Go to that part of the community that feels most familiar, find the parts of the community that are adjacent to you and just tell your story and have other people share their story with you. So that was pretty much the genesis of what the event uh, wanted to be. And ultimately, I'm very happy to say what it was. That's brilliant, Steve. And I'm really delighted because I know that putting on events like that, of that scale across a number of cities, across a country as big as Australia, is no small amount of effort. So shout to you and the team. Let's start with a look at how blockchain is talked about in Australia today. Obviously, there's a lot of coverage that you see in press and media around certain elements of the blockchain scene. But talk us through how is blockchain being talked about in Australia today? The narrative around the subject matter, Anthony, has changed enormously. I, I said in a meeting recently where I was chatting to regulators, government representatives, I'm expecting them to see shortly an exponential uplift in this subject matter in their rooms, because I've seen behind closed doors how much more people are talking about this subject matter. It is 10xing from where it was three months ago. And no, normally that's an exaggeration, but in this context, it really isn't. Uh, there's a natural momentum now that means that the conversations that are happening today are happening at pace. It wasn't the case. If we go back not that long ago, six months ago, 12 months ago in particular, the reality is it was the same experience, I think, shared across a lot of jurisdictions. It was people who understood, enjoyed the subject matter, had given it consideration, but for the most part, they were absolutely the minority in rooms. That acceleration, largely driven by a few key milestones in, in the last 12 or so months, have now meant that it is a conversation that's happening in all rooms. And that's something I've said to people for a long period of time. Behind closed doors, I said, I sleep on people's couches. We don't have our own rooms. We don't have our own house. I visit lots of other houses, but happily now people are visiting us a lot now, Anthony. They're coming to us proactively and saying, how does this fit in? Because I have a sense that maybe this is something I should be paying attention to. It's great to see the scene picking up. 
Take us back over the last few years, because that, that kind of acceleration of the curve feels like it's been relatively recent. But over the last sort of three to five years in Australia, what have been some of the significant moments or how would you describe the history of blockchain in Australia? We, we go back to the period of time that I guess most people started paying attention during the ICO boom. And when we're talking about 2017 and 2018 and the like, Anthony, that got lots of attention. It got lots of attention here. It got lots of attention around the world. The legacy of that period of time still is something that I'm cognizant of in rooms. And it's not a good one because the reality there is lots of people who had a passing interest in the subject matter formed a view about what the ecosystem was based on what they saw in 2017 and 2018. We're a conservative jurisdiction here in Australia. So a lot of people basically dug the heels in then and haven't moved away from their view of what the ecosystem was there. It was scammers and it was the dark web and it was nefarious activity and it was people just trying to take advantage of others. That has been something that has been very difficult to move and it still feels its way into rooms today. But what ended up happening in 2019 after the boom had come and gone was that government for, for the first time ultimately put itself into a little bit of the conversation. And that was the Department of Industry here in Australia that did that. They talked about a roadmap for what this subject matter might look like. And it was funny that when it was released, a lot of people were quick to criticize what the roadmap was. They very quickly maligned it for not having any funding attached to it and walked away. But ultimately what I recognized in 2019 was, it was the first time that a government department had proactively said, this is a subject matter we're keen to investigate. Notwithstanding the fact that they didn't put a budget behind it. So that very first step in my mind was the critical thing that set off now what has been an accelerating uh, interest in the space. It had a home notionally within government. And then I, for one, was able to, not long after I took on the role as CEO of Blockchain Australia, and not, it's not insignificant the impact that that decision by government made in order for me to actually take on the role. The truth is, if government had not said they were going to look at it, I probably wouldn't have taken on the role because there was nowhere that conversation could go whilst government was sitting on the sidelines entirely. So that set off a series of conversations, a series of opportunities to go into traditional financial service environments into big industry and say, the government is talking about this, not doing anything necessarily, but talking about it, should you be talking about it? And that's what has led to an acceleration into the ecosystem to where we are today. One of the other critical things that happened not that long after that was there was a committee that was talking about uh, payments and financial services and the like, and there was an opportunity there to talk about blockchain for the first time, cryptocurrency for the first time as part of its terms of reference. Senator Andrew Bragg was the chair of that committee. And he asked a question very purposefully, is this something Australia is well-placed to take advantage of? And to that point in time, again, very few politicians had committed publicly to try to get a sense of whether this was an opportunity economically for the country. He did so. And as soon as he did it, in the same way that the Department of Industry did it, people go forward towards that conversation when they're given some confidence that government is looking at it. So they're sort of some of the critical steps that led us to where ultimately we got to a few months ago, where the Senator, Senator Bragg, came out with some recommendations about what a forward-looking jurisdiction might be. And in the Australian context, it talked about things like licensing regimes and incorporations of, of elements such as DAOs into our traditional financial services regulatory frameworks, that then basically lit a fire under the subject matter. And all of a sudden, everyone's arrived to the party at the same time, Anthony, so much so that it's very difficult now to distinguish and to prioritise 
all the people who are showing up because they've charged towards the door at the same time. Great problem to have, save for the fact that it's very difficult now with all of this noise to uh, to accommodate all of the desires that are to participate in this in this space. That's really interesting. And we'll get onto community in a minute because you can't talk about blockchain without talking about the community. But I'd love to double click on government just for a second because you know 2019 feels relatively late if you compare some other countries considerations of blockchain technology, the investment that's gone behind countries like Singapore or the UAE, even Malta, many, many years ago, they've been working on their regulatory frameworks and trying to position themselves. 2019 feels a little late in the game, but I suppose the mantra for the scene is still, we're still early. So it's better late than never. 2019 did feel late, felt late to me as well. But what we recognised at the time was the subject matter was moving much more slowly within a government realm, within government realms. And the regulators themselves were not moving quickly, as you'd expect, because the space was moving so quickly. So it didn't move forward as quickly as it would have otherwise appeared to us it was going to. And I think what's ended up happening is there's been an alignment of sorts across jurisdictions. Everyone is sort of inched forward rather than anyone continuing to uh, accelerate forward. Those that burst out of the blocks, I think, found different challenges to deal with than those that didn't burst out of the blocks. Australia was conservative. The subject matter that we first zoned in on in 2019 was supply chains, credentialing. We talked about the reg tech uh, ultimately as a, as a potential tool in this space. Nothing that was groundbreaking, but it was enough to break ground. And that was the key thing for us in 2019. As the attention has been drawn into the space, Anthony, it's become obvious that there's a lot of hard work. So it's kind of this asynchronous opportunity now that is, it's not about who's first, it's about who is willing to do the work in a concurrent setting, in a current sense, that means that we can move forward faster. So it's not the linear path that naturally the person who is, or the country, the jurisdiction that has moved forward is leading. They're not really because the resourcing adjacent to all those conversations is what's been absent in my, in my experience in a lot of jurisdictions. If a primary regulator has run forward, then some of the other regulators haven't done so. So it's kind of who resources the team as opposed to who resources you know, the, uh, the best player in the team at the moment. Got you. And fast forward to 2022 and Australia Blockchain Week. What was the participation that you saw from government? Were there any commitments made? Did you see progress? We've definitely seen progress. We've seen progress because I think government, the current government, the incumbent government, we've got an election that's happening very soon. They understood that this was an opportunity to give consideration to their policy with respect to this subject matter, to put a flag in the sand that said, this is where we think we're going. We know the opposition is also looking at the subject matter and has been doing active outreach to say, well, what is our position relative to uh, the other party and relative to where, the, where their own, I think, view of what this ecosystem was in 2017 and 2018. So it has been an information gathering exercise on the government uh, from the government perspective. The regulators, the machinery of government, we know they're moving. And the reality there is I'm having more engagement with the regulators and have had more engagement with the regulators in the last three months than I probably had in the previous 12 to 18 months. So we know that they are now resourcing up in expectation that these aren't subjects that cross occasionally in front of them. I'm finding myself now having conversations with regulators where they recognise that this subject matter is pervasive. Wherever they look, they find the implications of blockchain, DLT, cryptocurrency, digital assets to be in front of them. So they're very quickly trying to play catch up. And they, of course, are informing a government. So it's this nice virtuous cycle now that they're accumulating information, which they're then onboarding and forwarding to those who are in government. So it's part of the reason why we think we've seen a, a pretty rapid acceleration within this range jurisdiction. And I spoke to someone today, Anthony, who talked about the fact that they had left Australia because they gave up hope 
and they've returned because they no longer uh, have given up hope. They think there's an opportunity here. So we know that the strong signaling and the message that leaves our shores absolutely draws interest back in. That's very positive. And there's so many stories of countries out there where an overly aggressive regulator or lack of community or lack of investment has meant that projects have moved. You look at the Ethereum project moving from Canada to Switzerland. You look at so many other blockchain startups and projects that have moved from their original country residence to somewhere else that's more welcoming or more open. It's great to hear that certain projects are starting to come back to Australia now. Let's talk about the community because I often find that's one of the most interesting areas to talk about when you talk about blockchain technology and Web3 and crypto. For those people who don't know, when you look into Australian Blockchain Week this week, when you look at the scene more widely, what's the makeup of the Australian blockchain community? Do we have certain centers of gravity? Are there certain bigger or more common voices? Or is it as diverse as you find anywhere else? It's funny, the construct that was the week, Anthony, I, I deliberately delivered it in a way that different verticals would be represented and people would find their own tribe ultimately. Day one for us was a mainstreaming moment. It was a mainstream day we had at the Australian Securities Exchange. I very deliberately filled the room with traditional financial services, payments providers. That's where government largely showed up. It was business as usual in that room. So that's something which has taken hold recently. We said we have a relatively conservative um, uh, enterprise sort of sector here. And the reality is familiarity is what breeds confidence in that room. So that's what we did. So on that Monday, we did that. On the Tuesday, we changed tempo. And it was much more about infrastructure builders, people who are building out Web3, people who are building out scaling solutions. So it was more focused on the builders. And it was also more focused on what's happening internationally, in my view, much more that's been happening here. People who are investing significant sums to build out infrastructure that will be um, you know, the kind of the kind of environment we hope Australia will become uh, soon. So that was day two. Day three was NFTs and the metaverse, what is the onboarding tool of choice for most people now. There's so much excitement and enthusiasm around the space. It's very easy to get eyeballs when you're talking about NFTs. So that's kind of the front door of attention at the moment. That's what the day three looked like for us. Day four was regulation. And we talked about the very complicated issues around it. So it drew in the lawyers and the consultants and the regulators. And I imagine it was the lowest uh, by number in terms of the number of attendees, but it was almost probably the, the most impactful because those that tuned in, tuned in very purposefully to understand what the regulatory frameworks and environments look like. And then day five is how we closed out. We talked about the thing that is the economic opportunity for everybody, which is inbound investment largely and exportable businesses, you know, taking on the world. So that day was focused on startups, scale-ups, of VCs and foundations. And I think that's Australia's opportunity and it's also Australia's challenge. You know, we're on the other side of the world. We've got a lot of people who would prefer often not to leave Australian shores in order to have success. This technology affords us that opportunity. And part of the conversation on Friday was making governments as well, who are state-based and state-oriented, understand that you don't need to own an outcome. You don't need to own a business in the same way you used to have to historically. You know, you don't need someone to set up a head office in a particular jurisdiction in order to know that you're playing a part. And that's part of the language and part of the impression that we're trying to get people across, which is playing a part in this is to play a part in it. You don't need to own it in the same way. So it was a very positive jobs and growth narrative that we finished with. And it's exciting to know that the pressure is also coming from the outside here. I, we're not disenfranchising any Australian economic investment opportunities, but what we're saying is if you can't identify talent within your own borders, 
believe me, someone outside of Australia will identify it for us. So that competitive tension, I think, is something which was drawing in a lot of interest as well. And you talk about talent there at a perfect segue. I find it super important for any country as they want to grow out their blockchain capability or to expand with any technology that you're getting a talent pool that is domestically sourced, where it's easy to have foreign talent come in. You look at places like Canada, you look at places like the UAE, where thousands upon thousands have come in, been flooding out and flooding in. How is the current state of talent and diversity in Australia? Are you seeing the kind of grassroots blockchain technical and non-technical capability growing? Are you seeing academia participating? Where are you on talent diversity in your view today? Anthony, people don't want to leave. This is my general experience. People don't want to leave unless there is a reason for them to leave. And I think it might be lucky in some respects. The reality of the fact that Australia has largely been locked down for a year and a half during this COVID crisis means we weren't afforded the opportunity to leave anyway. Largely, people were forced to stay here. And now the borders are opening up. It'll be a very different dynamic in terms of whether people actually are, you know, supplant their operations and move overseas. But for a period of time, it was something of a captive audience here. And we observed at close quarters, people are able to build things from here. And there is a shortage of talent here the same way there is everywhere else, particularly technical talent, um, given that, as I said, the conservative bent in our jurisdiction is such that it's more likely that the consultants and the lawyers will participate than it is the builders. So we're nurturing those builder communities here locally. And the more that we have successes that pop out of this jurisdiction, and one is a good example is Immutable recently, having raised a significant sum of money and immediately becoming a unicorn, these are businesses that are homegrown that are looking to expand very rapidly. And there isn't this cultural cringe that says you have to leave in order to, to grow. So those kinds of businesses, I think, will be the beachheads for us of what's to come in the future. As far as diversity is concerned, we struggle in this jurisdiction the same way everyone else does. I made a point of saying a few times at the conference, it is a room largely dominated by male faces. You know, we're trying to get those who are otherwise underrepresented or disenfranchised to put the hand up. That's the promise for us of the tech. We see that the tech has uh, is able to create opportunities for people if you embrace those opportunities. So everyone's working hard to try to make sure that's the case as well. But that's something people need to deliberately and consistently call out in order to have success. When it comes to academic institutions, Anthony, it's an interesting dynamic for Australia. We have been a net importer, obviously, of students for the longest time. And the reality is the academic institutions have not yet grasped wholly how they can actually sell this product. It's moved so quickly that when, when I talk to academic institutions, particularly tertiary institutions about the way that they're approaching this, they're struggling because they're used to selling into verticals. They're used to selling into structured courses that last one year, two years, and three years. Whereas this subject matter, as you well know, moves so quickly that you need to be able to, in a just-in-time way, you know, provide people with the information they need to make sure that they don't lose the thread of the way the technology is going. So those academic institutions have struggled a little bit, but there is a greater recognition now that this subject matter cuts across a wide variety of specialities. So I think they're retooling. So it's another thing that's going to be a challenge for the academic institutions here, but I think they're up to it because the reality is the reputation is a global one. So all of those elements mean that puzzle pieces are shifting and I think we're well placed, Anthony, the bottom line with all of these, these elements when you sort of bring them together. I, I think there's a great opportunity for us to be a net importer, continue and students, but then export businesses, ultimately export opportunities across borders. And uh, maybe the distance that uh, separates us might be less of an issue than it has been forever. So that's another great promise of, of this technology for all of us here in Oz. Sounds like momentum is building, Steve, and it feels like with the first unicorn, with government and regulators starting to increase participation, with 
people starting to come back with academic institutions starting to take note. It feels like things are moving in the right direction. For you, what more is needed to scale? So it feels like with yours and the community support, things have progressed massively, even despite lockdowns and the struggles of the last couple of years. From your perspective, what more would you like to see to help see this technology and this community take off? I guess it's a really tricky one for us, Anthony. We know there is definitely momentum. Um, there is a there is a very significant portion of this population that quite rightly does not know about this subject matter, does not believe or trust in this subject matter. I, I think we need as a jurisdiction, and it differs according to uh, each jurisdiction's peculiarities, but for us, we are largely led by the conversations that come from government. You know, bipartisan approaches in relation to this will foster uh, more interest in it. It just will. You know, people like to talk about bottom up and they like to talk about environments where startups lead the way the truth of Australia is. We're not a bottom-up kind of a jurisdiction there. I think it's much more the case that we'll take cues from bigger business and from government. That's what gives confidence to businesses across the country. So I think we need more of that. It sometimes appears to be to some people antithetical to the whole notion of what this space is or isn't. But the reality here is we have a small number of very big banks. We have financial institutions that tend to dominate the landscape. The truth is, whilst they've been sitting on the, on the sidelines, it's been hard to, to get momentum, but they are all being drawn into this conversation now. So I think the reality of the next six months or so is, are we willing to stay forward leaning? And it's not necessarily the case that we have to be charging forward here. The best example is the subject matter of DAOs. And as I said, Senator Bragg had put that on the radar. Uh, Minister Hume at the moment as well has sort of carried that conversation forward where we've said, we think the technology moves towards environments where DAOs are prevalent. Now, what does that look like from a regulatory perspective? The work that needs to be done to get that kind of structure within to regulatory frameworks is significant. So there's no shortcut, but just signposting that we're willing to work towards something like that, it gives people enough confidence to say, well, maybe we can look to Australia or move to Australia or stay in Australia whilst they're figuring it out. And I say to people consistently, Anthony, people aren't looking for regulatory certainty. They're just looking for less uncertainty. And that's the that's the key for me here, that no one and all the conversations that you and I have on a day-to-day -day basis across jurisdictions dominated by the regulatory conversation. So no one expects any magic to happen and it suddenly stops being an issue. It's just, can it be safe enough that people say, you know what, I can just stay here with confidence that good considered views are being surfaced and those good considered views are likely to lead to good policy outcomes. And if people have that certainty, then I think you'll find jurisdictions will outperform without the need to charge ahead uh, at the pace that uh, it might have appeared they needed to charge ahead in 2017, 2018 and 2019. Brilliant, Steve. Thank you so much for that. Congrats to you for what seemed like on the sidelines and from halfway across the world, a really successful Australian Blockchain Week. Shout to you and the Blockchain Australia team for all the work that you're doing in all the different forums and all the different rooms that you find yourselves in, in supporting the technology and trying to grow the Australian scene. You haven't been at the forefront since the beginning compared to some countries, but it feels like you're starting to catch up. And I'm excited to see whatever is going to come out of Australia, the next unicorns, the next big projects, the next big announcements over the coming months and years. Thank you so much for joining us on Blockchain Won't Save the World and stay safe out there. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. As always, opinions in this episode are mine and those of my guests alone. 
If you want to find out more, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out some of the other episodes on the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast and check out the YouTube channel also called Blockchain Won't Save the World.